Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Is my is my mic working this week, Matt? Not like last week. Yours is mine. Okay. Now yours is working. You know that I was listening to the and of course to those listening to Spooky South Coast on podcast, you don't know what we're talking about because through the magic of editing, you don't hear the mistakes. But last week we had a, quite a, a problem getting going. But this week we are on the air and ready to go. A little bit late, thanks to the Red Sox doubleheader. Yeah, thanks for uh, not calling that game when it was raining out in the fifth inning, umpire crew. Uh, they might have came back. Please. All right, that's enough talk about baseball because uh, this is Spooky South Coast where we talk about the paranormal. Greetings to all of you out there. Greetings to you listening live on planetparanormal.com. Uh, I am Tim Weisberg. With me is the silent assassin Matt Costa, the producer extraordinaire who is just playing with buttons randomly to make it look like he actually earns his paycheck here. Do you, how much do you get in that paycheck, Matt? Um, about as much as you. A lot of zeros in that yeah, paycheck. A lot of zeros. Unfortunately, there's no other numbers in front of them. They start with zero and end with zero. Exactly. And uh, Matt Moniz, as you just heard, our science advisor, is here. We also have a special guest co-host in the studio with us tonight. Uh, he's known throughout the paranormal community as Lucky. Hello. So, How are you doing today? Um, doing spectacular, as we always say here. So, uh, Actually, Lucky, why don't we uh, let everybody know, uh, for those who might not know who you are, uh, we first met you at the Lizzie Borden house uh, with that investigation with the, the Wheezy Ron trips. Yes, it was uh, quite honorable to meet you. Well, don't... <laughs> no, not even. We were uh, we were excited to meet you and to have somebody there uh, that had some experiences happen that was able to see some evidence and, and gather some evidence. And you know, when this guy takes photos, you can pretty much trust them because he's a professional photographer. So, yeah, there were uh, there were some pretty good photos, pretty good shots. I mean, uh, actually, I haven't even looked at all of them really, really, really in detail, but mm-hmm. uh, we took a lot of shots. I mean, uh, I, some other people got some pretty good shots also, but. You know, the quality of the camera is questionable, but, you know. And we can discount a lot of the uh, photo uh, anomalies that we generally, you know, light streaks, camera straps, all things like that. When you're taking photos, you can take a lot of that stuff out because just knowing what you're doing behind a camera, you're less prone to have some of those mistakes. Yeah, well, not only that, but the flash quality, mm-hmm. you know, the, how powerful the flash is. I mean, very rarely do I have, like, fake orbs where there's dust in, in it. I mean, I... I think I have maybe five pictures I took at, you know, at Lizzie's that are questionable orbs, but most of most of the dust is already flashed out. So, so yeah, so that I mean that's when you can get that kind of evidence and you you're doing pretty well for yourself and I I've always suggested to people that if they are going to take photos on on investigations and they're going to capture orbs that they either get a better quality camera or they take some photography classes. Uh, do you think that that's a, a pretty valid... Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. taking a basic photography class is always good. I mean, knowing something about lighting and knowing something about, you know, um, flash and basically, you know, knowing how to clean your camera also. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I've had people show me pictures that are just, you know, crap in their camera. That that happened with me. I think um, I've totally lost my digital camera because of just you know taking it out in the rain and, and everything. And people don't realize that, you know, they're not indestructible. And yeah, I have mine cleaned once every six months. 
So I don't and clean it on myself. I have professionally cleaned it at shops. And is that something, just general camera maintenance for any camera you should have a clean? It will depends. I mean, the, the little cameras, like the Canons and stuff like that, like mm. the little, uh, or something like that that has little 3.1s or something like that, or 5s that you just go out and buy with a little screen on the back. They don't need to be clean, but if you have an SLR camera, you know, where you're changing lenses on and off all the time, you have mirrors inside, um, just changing lenses. If you have a lens off for a couple minutes, stuff's getting in there. So it's good to get cleaned out. So there, we're going to give you your, we'll give you your own uh, column on, on SpookySouthCoast.com where you can give advice to people when it comes because we see so many questionable photographs and so many orb photos that are just dust or bugs or, or rain my favorite is you, you can't go out and try to capture orbs in a cemetery when it's raining out just so you all know yeah that's yeah that's not not wise <laughs> and also if you try to do it and 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 say that that's evidence we can all tell it's rain so yeah that's orbs are pretty easy to tell if it's an orb or not i mean mm-hmm. dust is very you know plain it's it's it, you know it's dust and, and insects as well. They're easy to pick out, too. Yeah. You got a great orb photograph from Waverly, actually, that shows a whole trail. Yeah, that was actually, actually wasn't even from my camera. Um, uh, it was actually from a, uh, one of the people's cameras there, and they actually put it on my laptop and asked me, you know, what did they do wrong? Like, what did I do wrong in this picture? It looks, you know, it, there's a streak on here, and I, I took it in the Photoshop, and I blew it up to, like, you know, 100%, and then I checked it out, and you can actually see the – she took the picture, and uh, her shutter stayed open. And it took the orb trail, and you can actually see when you blow it up. There's little um, circles of it actually like stage by stage by stage moving. Wow! And it makes like a zigzag. It makes like a circle and goes and like kind of dissipates off. And it's in a foggy area, and there's no light out there because I went out there. So it's it, it her shutter stayed open long enough where it actually followed the orb moving. And when you can actually you know talk to somebody that knows what they're doing with photography, it's it's a lot easier to to prove or disprove these photos. And nowadays, I mean, I had my laptop at at Waverly. So it was cool. So she came over, and I have a card reader that reads, like, 20 different cards. So mm-hmm. we just plugged it into my laptop and analyzed it right there, which is great. They also had a questionable uh, one at Waverly where they thought they had a uh, the ghost of Timmy. And, everyone, <laughs> and, like, fi- and, like, 50 people gathered around and were like, oh, my God, you, you got, like, it's, that's him. That, that's him. And, and it was very humorous because it was actually part of my back that someone took a picture of <laughs> and the girl standing next to me that I was teaching stuff to. And uh, well, when we blew it up on the screen, I was just like, congratulations, you got a duffel bag. <laughs> it seems like at Waverly, though, everybody that goes there, Timmy's the ghost they want to interact with, the, the little boy that rolls the ball down the hallway. That's the ghost everybody's looking to interact with. So I can understand why they would you know, try and jump right on that. It just seems to I guess if you have to have, excuse the term, a favorite ghost, that seems to be a lot of people's favorite report. Yeah, that and uh, um, what's the other one? Uh, don't worry about that. Okay. What's the other ghost? Uh, Mary met? The, the, the little girl. Yeah, the yeah, little Mary. girl. Mary. Mary, we actually had a personal encounter with. We saw. We actually saw a full body of Mary at Waverly, which is kind of neat. Sorry. I don't mean to my pick, card keys. I pick <laughs> stuff up and drop them all That's the time. I was just trying to move it out of my way so I could spread my papers out. And <laughs> I, mentioned, I mentioned Mary, the ghost. He gets all nervous throwing stuff around. Not stuff. Mary. Oh, jeez. <laughs> all right. Well, actually, tonight we're going to talk about something a little bit different here on Spooky South Coast. Uh, you know, we... We talk about the paranormal. That's that's our subject matter here. Uh, and we talk about all aspects of the paranormal. But one of the things that we want to talk about as well is we like to educate people on some of what I call the alternative history of New England, of this area. Uh, we, we've done shows on ancient stone sites of New England. Uh, we've done shows on even the JFK assassin. You know, there's stuff that doesn't get out there into the history books, King Philip's War. And Folklore these, and mythology in the Things area. that the general history books don't. Publish, don't deem worthy enough, or, or or teachers don't spend the time. And we like to try to present some of that history because to us it's fascinating. 
And one of the topics of that is, of course, New England's pirate history. So we have a, a guest that's going to join us here tonight, Cat McNiff, who is the organizer of the uh, the big Buccaneer Ball that's coming up next Saturday as part of the Newport Pirate Fest. So uh, we will bring her on right now. Uh, good evening, Cat. How are you tonight? Ahoy there. I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, we're spectacular. I, I guess uh, I guess so. We we should probably say uh, good evening to you in pirate speak too. Oh, um, ahoy is fine. Ahoy works. Okay. <laughs> I, I I didn't know if because you know we see pirates uh, in uh, popular culture and you can't be sure how much of it is historically accurate. Well, I mean there there is a lot of history there. Um, although once Treasure Island came out, in particular when Disney got a hold of it, um, the whole idea of the pirate accent. Mm-hmm. Um, was basically due to Robert Newton, the actor who played Long John Silver. He was Cornish, so it was a country accent. So everything was, our how you doing there? Even the five-year-old kids that are running around, you know, Cornwall all sound the same. <laughs> so imagine a, you know, entire village of pirates um, as we think of them today. Now, uh, but in actuality, pirates came from all different parts of the world. and, and Absolutely. The were... Piracy has been around for over a thousand years. And, and to and, those who might not be exactly sure, what is a pirate? It's not just these, you know, these buccaneers that are flying. It's basically seafaring people who made their living off, you know, nefarious uh, purposes. Absolutely. Um, literally, piracy comes down to anyone who uh, robs or steals um, on the seas. Oh, well, actually, today even we have pirates... Uh, you know, internet piracy. You know, the term piracy has come to. Uh, we still have pirates on the sea today yeah, as, say, as well. Did, as well. Say, recently, recently there was a military that sees some ships that were pirating and stuff like that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the South China Seas quite often. Um, there are still pirates. So, what is it ab- about the original uh, appearances of these of these pirates? Uh, uh, were, were the Barbary pirates one of the first ones that were really known about, or? No. Um, I, there are accounts going as far back as um, ancient Greece and Rome wow. about piracy. Um, in fact, um, Xerxes uh, at one point um, talks about a band of pirates uh, coming across the seas and attacking his ships. So was it really just a matter of uh, as long as people are, are using the sea to make their living, there'll be somebody else trying to just steal their booty? As for yes. <laughs> Yeah, I said booty on the air, Matt. Can you believe that? It's a WBSM first. I know. I think it might be the first time. You're right. We we don't usually get to use the term booty on the air here. Well, I think it works quite well. Yeah. So, and now with New England pirates, uh, you know, have they been popping up in this area for as long as there have been people visiting these these shorelines? I mean, I'm talking even pre-settlers. Um, for the most part, I mean, there's always been sailors in the area. I mean. They, everybody talks about Oak Island, and they talk about in Newport the uh, the Viking Memorial or whatever else you don't want to call it. Um, so I mean, we've had sailors here for hundreds and hundreds of years um, before quote unquote contact period, i.e., um, when the English started coming across. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure once the English did start settling here, it became even more common. Oh, indeed. Um, in fact, there's a letter referenced um, by Roger Williams 
and he talks about hearing cannon fire all the way in Providence from Newport, and he fears that it's Irish pirates. And one of the things that we'll talk about, we're coming up on the news in a couple of minutes here. Sorry, sorry to do that to you, but uh, that's no the Red Sox for you. But uh, one of the things that we definitely will talk about is some of the paranormal stories, some of the ghost stories surrounding pirates. Uh, is that something that's universal throughout pirate culture? I mean, is there something about about the pirate culture that just blends itself to these stories? Because you see in the movies, they're always telling these stories about you know, the ghost ships, and, and even now with the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, uh, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know when I first saw the, the first movie that it was going to be you know, a ghost story, essentially. Uh, has that always been tied in? Well, sailors in general have, are, are a very superstitious lot because you're putting your life on the line and you're taking um, every day uh, a chance by going out on the water. And so anything to continue to be able to go out on the water, um, anything from not whistling on board ship to um, painting it blue, you know, don't do that because it's too close to the you know, color of the water. Uh, you don't want to whistle on the ship because that'll bring up a wind, and it, or it could bring a hurricane. Um, so uh, there are any number of things that can um, give over to superstition. And of course, we can talk about a lot of that stuff uh, coming up in the eleven o'clock hour, and we'll we'll talk some of those stories. We'll talk more about New England pirates and, and their history around here, and we'll talk more about this event which is coming up. And if you want to check out some of the information, go to myspace.com/slash Rhode Island Pirate. And uh, you'll be able to get all the information here, but it's it's really it's a it's a whole uh, pirate festival plan for next weekend, right? Absolutely. You can also go to piratefest.net. Oh, even better. And that'll give you the full schedule, and you can also buy tickets there too. And I'm just taking a look at, at some of the events that are planned. Uh, there's a pirate treasure hunt. Uh, there's uh, let's see, sea stories, pirate crafts, uh, a pirate walk. Uh, I mean, just so many of this stuff. And I want to talk about uh, Thomas too as well. A little bit later on, but one of the things, of course, is I said to you uh, earlier today. I said, you know, did was this whole event arranged around the Pirates of the Caribbean movie opening next Friday? And and you said no, that it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It, we uh, basically had done this last year, myself and Elaine Austin Sharp. Um, she is the brains behind the whole operation, and um, but. Thought was there wasn't anything really going on in the area during Memorial Day weekend, mm -hmm. so take advantage of that. And so that's what we did last year. And then this year, it was just serendipity that it happened to be the day after the opening. So, and and part of the Pirate Fest uh, you have here uh, on Saturday, there'll be the Pirates of the Caribbean three premiere. Uh, screening and Captain Jack Sparrow, Will Turner, and Elizabeth Swan lookalike contest. Yes. So, so uh, I want to try to get down there and make friends with some of those uh, Elizabeth Swan lookalikes. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, there's also going to be a pile, uh, pirate trial reenactment. Excellent. Um, reenacting um, the the trial of Calico Jack, Rackham, and Bonnie and Mary Reed. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And then, of course, the um, ball is is at night. And the ball is in the evening. That's uh, when all the kids get put to bed after a long day, and all the parents can come back out and kind of let loose a little bit. And that's 21 and over? It goes 21 and over. It starts at 8 p.m. And that'll be um, at the Yachting Center? Yes, at the Newport Yachting Center on America's Cup Avenue. Um, but there's going to be just a great time. There's a, a lot of cruising that's a sea shanty rock band. Mm -hmm. Um, out of Providence that are a lot of fun. We have uh, DJ Mike Pellucci coming in, um, spinning a lot of tunes. 
Um, we have a costume contest. It, just all sorts of different things um, that will be going on. Well, it sounds like a part in the pond treasure trove of fun. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, like I said, we are coming up on the news uh, here at 11 o'clock. When we come back on the other side, we'll talk more about New England Pirates and and some of the legends and lore, as well as this big festival that's coming up next weekend. And we'll also talk to you about the Week in Weird. we got some interesting stories for the Week in Weird this week, and we'll share more recounts with Matt and Lucky of some of their adventures together as well. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Lost civilizations, extraterrestrials, myths and monsters, missing persons, magic and witchcraft, unexplained phenomena. For 58 years, Fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate is a factual magazine containing articles by experts in all walks of life and by others just like you who have had something dynamic, significant, and truthful to say. Keep up with the latest on all aspects of the paranormal. Angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To subscribe, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You asked for it, you got it. And this is Spooky South Coast, Volume 2. Spooky South Coast, Tim Leisberg here, along with the full panel for tonight, the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, and Lucky. Lucky, you said yeah, you're, an, you're an illustrator by trade and, and that you have a website where people can check out your work? It is uh, www.luckyillustrator.com. Um, also contact me through there with any kind of commission work or any kind of questions or even questions on how things are done and techniques. Uh, I'll be happy to answer any kind of questions or get any kind of pricing you want. All right, so make sure you check that out, luckyillustrator.com. Correct. All right, and uh, we are talking tonight to our guest, Kat McNiff, who is actually, she's an actress, and and we probably should have given her a better introduction at the top of the show, but we were up against the clock. Uh, You're an actress by trade, you said, Kat? Um, Yes. And and you perform at, I know you said you work at King Richard's Fair, and and you do some some, uh, Renaissance fairs, and what what other type of... uh, acting do you do um i i mean <laughs> i work parties i basically i just get hired to do a variety of different things um i've done um events for companies do a lot of corporate work um you put me in a costume i'm pretty much ready to go <laughs> are, are there certain characters that you play uh, on, a, on a consistent basis um Generally, it's 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 constant. Um, I've done everything from uh, working at the Barker Playhouse in Providence um, as 
you know, whatever I get cast as, um, to any of the corporate events, it can vary. Um, so I work with Fountain Street Creative out of Pawtucket. Well, was... And so uh, we do everything from working for um, the hospitality and tourism departments to Rhode Island Film to Water Fire and just portray a variety of different characters. I, I was looking at your MySpace earlier, and I was looking at some of the characters you played at parties and, and your pirate characters, and, and it, you even played one of my favorite roles. Uh, it looked like you were playing Beer Wench at King Richard's Fair. Yes. <laughs> um, that was a, a character, basically, that I'd played for a while, um, and quite lucrative as well. well. That's the character that, when I go to King Richard's Fair, I interact the most with, because ah. that's the person serving the beer. So. <laughs> I'm there quite a bit, and uh, especially when you can get those yard glasses, you don't have to get so many refills. This is true. And so now, is that something that you uh, you get involved with every year? Are you are you always at King Richard's Fair and in, in different roles? I've been roles? with them for about 15 years now. Because uh, I I did a story on them for the newspaper here, and uh, just some of the dedication people have to their roles there, uh, it's just they live it. They live those roles. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's entire scenario is based on a renaissance village and so every person plays their part um don't break character you just get as involved as possible to create the illusion and your pirate character that you play is there a specific name to your character is there a specific uh, back history well i play grace kelly o'malley who is um based off of the actual uh irish pirate grace o'malley who was a contemporary of Queen Elizabeth I. And, and what kind of, what's her story? Well, um, she was born out in the West Country of Ireland, and as she was growing up, her father and family uh, were sailors and pirates. And so at one point she had wanted to go on board the ship when she was about eight, and her father had told her, no, you're getting you know, to be a proper lady, and now you can't go on board ship anymore and she said well why not well because you're a girl so she decided to shave her head and uh-huh. look like a boy and so they nicknamed her um grania Maiol, which is grace the bald and he allowed her to go back on board ship well, once uh once she took over the clan um she fought against the english invasion of ireland for many many years including being put in prison a number of times and so she was kind of like the, the Elizabeth Swan of her time, the real-life Elizabeth Swan, you could say? Uh, more so than that. <laughs> um, she uh, she went on up and through her 80s pirating. I wish I could keep working until I was in my 80s. <laughs> I, I guess, though, there's not a real retirement plan. There's no 401K in piracy. I'm planning on before 80. I'm about not to really. You kind of have to provide your own with that. So uh, and so this is a character that you're bringing to the, the Pirate Fest next weekend? No, um, I'm just going to kind of come as me, <laughs> whatever character that comes out with. Um, I usually portray the black cat, uh, which is a character from a reenactment group that I work with called the Free Men of the Sea. They're based out of Connecticut and Rhode Island. And we also will be working tall ships. Um, but you can see us at a variety of different events. Uh, we just did a Smith's Castle event over in Wickford. Um, then there was uh, Gatsby Days that will be coming up uh, June 10th and 9th. And we'll have an a, uh, encampment there as well. And we're in the parades. and So we're all over. 
Is there a website where people can get a hold of you uh, to, to book you for parties or events? Well, they can always get a hold of me at the um, Rhode Island Pirate site on MySpace. Okay. And that's myspace.com slash Rhode Island Pirate. Absolutely. It's linked, linked up to our MySpace, uh, myspace.com slash Spooky South Coast, and as well as on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. Now, we've heard stories, uh, plenty of, of pirate stories growing up here, and we don't know how many of them are legitimate because there's not a lot of record of them in, in our history books that we read, but uh, what are some of the most famous pirate stories that come out of the New England area? Well, just to begin with, I mean, such people as Captain Kidd, Thomas II, um, Black Sam Bellamy up in Cape Cod. Um, I, there's just a wide variety. In particular, Rhode Island for a long time was known as Rogue's Island uh, because of the amount of piracy that went on here. And it was an acceptable trade. There were so many seafarers that if you could get yourself a letter of mark, you then became a privateer, which is just a pirate with a license. And then from that point, you know, you could go and attack enemy ships, take, you know, a percentage of the booty um, back for yourself as well as give some back to the government. You know, and that's something that a lot of people overlook uh, in history is, is privateering. Uh, a lot of the discoveries that were made of, of new lands were actually founded by privateers who later become recognized as just famous explorers, but in, in actuality, like you said, they were just pirates with a license. Basically. Um, I mean, one of the big things with Rhode Island is that uh, Thomas II, for instance, um, he was born in Newport uh, in the 16 late 1600s, and his ship in particular was known for the fact that had um, a crew of mixed peoples, everyone from Indian to black to white to just about anything. And as long as you pulled your weight, it didn't matter what your religion was, it didn't matter what your ethnic background was, you were treated as a man, and therefore you did your work got your pay. I, I think that's part of, too, of what the allure was uh, of the pirate culture to a lot of people is because if you look at that time period, you know, uh, ships were kind of an elitist thing. First of all, to even get on a ship was, was hard enough. And then if you did, you know, certain classes of people stayed below deck, certain classes of people were allowed to roam the deck in, in terms of traveling. Uh, but with pirates, it was anybody that could do the job. Absolutely. Um, quite often, uh, a lot of people get the idea of pirate ships as a floating democracy. You would vote the captain in, you could vote the captain out. Um, everyone had a say into what happened, where you sailed, what prize you took, uh, or ship you took. Um, so it really became much more of taking your own life, and your own destiny in your own hands. So you may have been born a farmer, but that didn't mean you had to stay a farmer which was so often the case. And in terms of, uh, of these waters uh, off the coast of New England, it must have been a pretty easy port for them to get to, uh, you know, just looking at our coastline and everything. Was it harder uh, for the regular ships to hide from pirates here? Was It, it was more open and more uh, prone to attack? Um, it was, I mean, because of our coastline, we were really, really lucky because there were so many places to hide. Um, there were a variety of pirate caves, for instance. Um, one not that far from um, Breton Point, uh, just north of Breton Point, in fact, in Newport, 
that, uh, which is also across from yet another pirate cave in Jamestown, which they think um, was just over by where Thomas Paine's house was, who was a very good friend of Captain Kidd. And one of the stories goes that Kidd was able, um, under cover of darkness, to come up towards that cave, work his way up to Thomas Paine's house to drop off some of the goods that he had been holding. So... So um, there was there were places to hide and and there was so I can imagine you know there was a good many pirate battles in these waters as well. Oh yeah, I'm sure that there were definitely. Although many of the pirates they wouldn't necessarily come back and fight in the area mm-hmm. unless they were being chased. Most times they would go to such far off places as Madagascar, the Red Sea, um, down south towards the Caribbean. And then they would come back and spend their money here. I mean, it was great for the economy. Hide their money here as well. Pardon? Hide their money here as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Captain Kidd uh, is well known for stashing his money all over the place. Gardner's Island, for one. Um, I also believe they also found some while they were digging the Cape Cod Canal, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. Um, There's stories all over the place about money being found sometimes after hurricanes, especially on Cape Cod, because of the amount of ships that went down. Um, the Widow? Well, the Widow, to begin with, um, Bellamy ship. Um, but there are a number of other pirate ships that went down in the area. And uh, Edward Rose Snow actually talks about quite a few different ships um, that went down. But he said that after a hurricane or a major storm, you could walk the beaches and find little bits of coins and flint and ballast and things of that nature all over. And, of course, uh, you can find plenty of treasure at the Pirate Fest next weekend uh, in Newport. And as you said, uh, myspace.com slash Rhode Island Pirate. And, and the other website was? Uh, piratefest.net. Piratefest.net. So if you check those out, you can find out more. We're going to take a, a quick break here. And on the other side, we'll talk about some of the, the ghostly pirate stories, uh, some of the more spooky side of pirates and uh, like we said earlier, those just seem to go hand in hand. So uh, if you have anything you want to talk about of a paranormal nature, especially with uh, any pirate paranormal stories you might have heard, give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-2910-500. And, of course, we are being podca- uh, streamed out to the entire world on planetparanormal.com. So uh, share with us some of the stories you might have heard from your area. In addition, you can always download the podcast of the show through iTunes and numerous other podcasting sites and our own site, SpookySouthCoast.com. So stay tuned for that for more. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. Is the rum always gone? Spooky South Coast is back. Somebody works quick. Our crack producer, the silent assassin, Matt Costa, coming up with a pirate bumper. That sounds MIDI to me. Is that MIDI? It is. <laughs> <laughs> he works quick, but not that quick. But, uh, yeah, and as we talked about earlier with our guest, Cat uh, McNiff, there is a, a band that plays uh, pirate chanties that uh, is out of Providence, and they'll be performing at the Buccaneer Ball the as part of the second annual Newport Pirate Fest uh, next Saturday, May 26th. 
and that'll be taking place in Newport, Rhode Island. There's a, a whole slew of events scheduled, uh, beginning at 10 a.m. and going all the way until the ball at 8 p.m., which will be at the Newport Yachting Center. 21-plus on the ball, but it's uh, family-oriented fun all day long until then. So if you want to find out more information, you can go to myspace.com slash Pirate or piratefest.net. We have links up on spookysouthcoast.com. And, of course, you can't talk about pirate culture uh, in this area without hearing a lot of the ghost stories that are tied into it. It, it. As we said, they just seem to go hand in hand, and especially here where we have such a long seafaring history, uh, the stories just permeate through the years. And, Kat, what's some of the biggest um, ghost legends in regards to pirates around here? Uh, ghost legends? Um I mean, some people talk about the pirate caves again and that they've seen ghostly lights and things of that nature. Um, possibly it could have been the lantern of Captain Kidd himself as he's landing. Um, there are other uh, bits out there about ghost ships. Uh, for instance, there's one that was a um, brigantine that uh, they found off the coast of Rhode Island during a huge uh, squall, and uh, the next day, it was all calm. They still saw her out there, and uh, the locals went to investigate to make sure everyone on board was fine. And when they got there, what they found was uh, a dog and a cat, no captain, no crew, but there was nothing wrong with the ship, but there was no you know, damage whatsoever after such a major, major storm was really amazing to most of them. Um, but they found that there was a fire going on inside the galley. Um, the stove was still warm, and the captain's table was set for dinner, and yet there was no one around. So is it one of those situations where there's kind of like uh, the entire crew disappears or maybe pirated by a, a ghost, I mean, uh, steered by a ghost crew? What, what were their stories that they... It was everything from a ghost crew wondering if everybody had been murdered. Um, a lot of the, the sailors thought then it was, you know, a cursed ship at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so no one ever wanted to go near it. Um, there's also the story of the Palatine, um, which was wrecked off the coast of Rhode Island. And uh, basically what ended up happening is that... When uh, when she wrecked, the people on shore tried to help um, the starving passengers and whatever else that were coming off from the wreck. Um, and then they set fire to the ship so it wouldn't endanger any of the other passing ships. But as the ship started to burn, the people on shore could hear a scream. And it was apparently a mad woman confined on board the ship during the voyage had been left on board. Oh. But the story goes that every year since then, on the day of the tragedy, um, the Palatine reappears off the shore and is wrecked and burned before the eyes of anyone who ever watches it. It just seems like any any story where where a crew meets their watery grave just naturally lends itself to these to these ghost stories. Is is it because the sea holds that power to most people? It, it holds that level of mystery that uh, so many people that die at sea are, are supposedly coming back as ghosts? Um, you know, it's the, the sea is a wild mistress. And you really have to know how to deal with her. And occasionally she decides to turn on you. And so when that happens, you know, people that are born for the sea, they 
there. Uh, at least that's what the sailors say. And one of the, the common stories that are told uh, amongst sailors uh, is the story of Davy Jones. And it's, it's of course, coming back now with the, the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Now, just as an aside, when you first saw the, the first Pirates movie, were you expecting it to be a ghost story in essence? Um, truly, no, I wasn't. Um, it it kind of threw me there. And, and but it was very fun. Not the monkey, Matt. <laughs> you know I had to do that on the air. The Davy Jones. We're talking about the other Davy Jones. The, oh, all right. Yeah. You got me excited. We're talking about the the guy that runs the restaurant down here in New Bedford. Davy Jones. That Davy Jones. David Bowie's real name? Not David Bowie either. There's actually a, a, a Davy Jones locker restaurant around here. So, Although, Well, Davy Jones was usually, it was a nickname basically for the devil of the sea. Okay, uh, but now the, that that's becoming more prominent and that's leading, I think that's helping to generate a lot of these pirate ghost stories is because those movies are so wildly successful and, you know, it's it's basically a ghost story, so that's tying it into to the minds of future generations as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's unfortunate that Hollywood kind of gives us our history in yeah, many but, ways. Yeah, it's like that in so many things that uh, it doesn't surprise me that pirates are the, the next step. No. All right, well, we have, a, we have a call here for you. Mm-hmm. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Hey, guys. How are you? All right. Um, you got it right on Spooky South Coast, Bird Island. Billy Moore was the light keeper there. I wrote him, as a matter of fact. You should remember that story, guys. Well, why don't you share the story for everybody? Um, well, Billy Moore was a pirate who um, took over being the light keeper of Bird Island Lighthouse. And I don't know, I don't have it in front of me. It was like the early 1800s. Um, and later on, his wife, everybody was like giving his wife tobacco all the time because she smoked and everyone felt bad for her because they always noticed that she had black eyes and things like that. And then later on, Billy Moore tried to say that she had succumbed to the nicotine and she she died. They say she's buried on the island. But uh, there's actually, I guess, there was activity reported from other light keepers that there would be an old woman who would knock on the door and she'd like reach out for people and scare the children. Well, you know, Lighthouse Islands they they always have stories of paranormal activity because of the isolation and the, and the people who live there live there by themselves and. You'll have a lot of people that will dismiss those stories because of that. Hey, it's just somebody living out on an island by themselves, and naturally they're going to start to imagine things. But I also think that they're, you know, Matt Moniz, as you say all the time, being surrounded by water amplifies the paranormal energy Definitely. that's there. Yeah. Definitely. So is that a story that you've, you've heard before, Kat? It's not one that I've heard before, and it's actually I'd like to find out more about it. Oh, that's Bird Island. Did, has, have you ever heard of the uh, Charles Haskell or the Andrew Johnson? That's a really interesting haunted boat story. Absolutely, I, I'm I'm always learning more. And, and those are those are uh, two ships that sail these waters. Yeah, actually, I wrote that one on your boy. You guys don't read your stories, no, we, do you, Luann? This is radio. We do read them, but we're trying to get you to <laughs> generate the story for people that haven't read them yet. Aha! Uh-huh. Um, oh boy, the Andrew Johnson and the Charles Haskell. I believe the Charles Haskell crashed into the Andrew Johnson um, during a nor'easter, 
I think that was like middle 1800s. I'd have to look at my stories again. I'm so bad with dates. Um, but later on, um, what happened was that the ship actually sunk after it was run through. They they used to put their Incas down mm-hmm. when they'd get a really big blow like that or a big nor'easter, and they'd try to ride it out that way. Um, I guess they had to cut their Inca for some reason, and they crashed right into the Andrew Johnson, and they sunk, of course. Um, now, they were going into into port, and the mates ran down to the captain. They're like, you got to come up here and see this. You won't believe it. And he, they brought the captain up, and what was happening was the spirits of the people of the Andrew Johnson were crawling onto the ship from the sea, and they continued to, like, do the chores of a ship, you know, fishing, throwing out their lines and everything. Um, this really freaked the captain out. So he was like, we're heading in, put the sails up, you know. And every night until they got back, these people would climb up onto the boat and actually do the work and throw their lines out to go fishing and all of that. And um, I'm not sure what actually ever happened to the um, Charles John- the Charles Haskell, I'm sorry, after it was sold because, like, this thing became, like, so famous. Other people were captained on this boat, and the same thing happened. They'd take it out fishing, and these ghosts would come up on deck, and it kept getting sold because no one would sail on it. It got to the oh. point where the stories were so famous that there's actually a song about it, the ghostly crew, that they had the ghostly sailors, actually, I think it is, uh, that they wrote about this nor'easter hitting and the ghost coming up. It's, well, we won't, we won't ask you to sing it, but... <laughs> oh, God, no. no I but wish I could. Uh, wasn't the Charles Haskell, if I remember correctly, wasn't the Charles Haskell up in Gloucester area? Um, that was actually where they were um, where they were out of. They were Gloucester and Salem, I believe, the two boats. Okay. But <clears> it, it seemed, you know, haunted but boats... But they did. They, they sailed down here. They'd go to George's Bank. They were in and out of the New Bedford Harbors and, oh, yeah. you know, various, various other places. It, it, haunted boats are kind of like haunted houses, though. You know, there'll they'll be a lot of turnover because people don't want to hang on to them. <laughs> That's oh, true. Absolutely. All right. Well, we thank you for, for sharing uh, some of these stories for us. And, and, yes, we do read the stuff that's on the website, but <laughs> we have to make sure that people that don't will be able to know uh, know what we're talking about. So. Oh, well, they'll have to go and read that, the stories. They're still in there, I'm sure. Of course. If you go to the message board at SpookySouthCoast.com, you can find... Uh, many, many postings uh, of different legends and, and ghost stories that our caller has posted up there for us. So we thank you for that. All right. Well, we great f- show tonight, guys. Thank you very much. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And, and so, yeah, Kat, it's always good, like you said, to be able to hear some new stories that you, that you haven't heard yet. And a lot of these ships that we hear stories of uh, were just, you know, regular seafaring ships, and we're, we're hearing some maritime ghost stories. But didn't a lot of pirates just acquire their ships by taking regular ships from people? Absolutely. You'd, uh, you'd start out with um, a smaller ship, sometimes a schooner, build your way up, um, sometimes a sloop, the Providence, for instance, um, out of now Providence. It was originally known as the Katy. And uh, she was, for all intents and purposes, a pirate ship. And what happens is uh, as you take over these boats, you take over whatever spirits might be attached to them. Absolutely. It's just like, again, moving into a house, anything else, um, any place that there is a tragedy. Now, I know that uh, the woman behind this this, uh, this pirate fest, what was her name again? 
Elaine Austin Sharp. Uh, she's also the author of her new book, Pirate Fever. And uh, she also did the book Haunted Newport. And she does the Haunted Newport tours uh, around Halloween time. But is there plans to maybe work the pirates and the paranormal in together? Um, not that I know of yet. <laughs> but there's, there's so many stories and, and so many pirate ghost stories in there that there, there's definitely going to be a, a chance to put the two together somewhere down the line. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Because that's just, you know, if you can keep that pirate culture alive all year round, especially where it's, you know, so so uh, big into pop culture now with, with the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And I mean, how long have, how long have you seen a, a serious interest among people in Pirates? Has it just become so huge because of these movies? Or has there always been, you know, a little bit underneath the, the normal pop culture, there's always been that pirate subculture? You know, I think there's always been a pirate subculture. Um, I think especially after Stevenson wrote Treasure Island, they just became a little more romanticized. Um, and then throughout movies like um, The Black Swan and Captain Blood, um, of course, you know, we think of Errol Flynn, and he's all dashing and swinging on ropes and sword fighting and all that. Um, so the girls swoon and the boys want to be him, so... And I think it's always kind of been there, though. The, the romantic notion of the pirate, for sure, has something to do with that. But also, uh, there is a certain culture of people that just always tend to gen, uh, always generate toward the, the rebellious part of culture, the, the, the people that go against the, the grain. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, there was always that whole idea, because everybody had their set place in life. And particularly during the Golden Age of Pirates, around 1690 to 1720, um, there were a lot of changes going on globally anyway. And it just allowed them another direction to go in and to, again, take their own destinies into their own hands. And you could start out poor, but you spend your on a pirate ship and keep your head down and not get caught. You could walk away with thousands of pounds. But it, seem, it seems like every pirate, if you listen to the legends and the stories, it seems like every pirate, you know, buried his treasure somewhere. Uh, there's unlimited pirate treasure to be found uh, in the world if you just have the right map. Absolutely. And it's a matter of, you know, going through the paperwork mm -hmm. um, and going through the footwork and really having to put your brain into that time period and think to yourself, okay, if I was this person. But what I mean, would I do with it? How plausible is it, though, that there is so much buried pirate treasure to be found? I think there's a lot of it out there, but I think that it's not as much as people think. I think quite often pirates did what pirates did and what sailors do, and etc. They went and spent it. Mm -hmm. They came back to shore. They spent their money. They got some great clothes. They drank at the best taverns and then went back out to sea because they were poor again. And, yeah, it, it was just disposable income to them because they could always just hop on the ship and go get some more. But even so, if you found pirate treasure, you know, what was you know, a fortune back then doesn't really uh, stand up as much now. Um, untrue in the sense that you're looking at gold coins. Oh, that's true. You're yeah. looking at silver, bars of gold. You're looking at, I mean, just aside from the uh, silks and... Uh, spices and things of that nature that they would also capture that were wonderful trade goods. Um, the gold bars and such, I mean, they would come back. For instance, Thomas II, um, when he had gone to the Red Sea after fitting out his ship, 
with his crew, um, they had attacked the Grand Mogul ship. And when they attacked the Grand Mogul's treasure ship, because he was on his way to the Hajj, um, they ended up coming back with about 1,500 pounds each, um, and pounds in the sense of, of pounds sterling. Mm. So at that point in time, the wealthiest man in Massachusetts when he died, um, basically when they probated everything, with the land, the house, the money, everything, came to 1,500 pounds. So you can imagine that there's a lot of money in 1690. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and so, and some of these coins were almost as big as dinner plates. And to live the lifestyle that they lived too, where, you know, it, it was so freely spent. And as you said earlier, you know, that's just going right back into the local economy. Absolutely. And Rhode Island was welcoming it. You know, I'm. Wouldn't you? I mean, uh, I mean, yeah. Go to tavern, you're like, yeah, come on in. <laughs> especially if I, especially if I'm a tavern owner or, you know, uh, somebody that deals in goods. Uh, what, what do I care if they're out there robbing these ships? You know, I mean, if I'm not dependent on what's coming in on those ships, then I, I don't really care. Riggers and fitters that we have that dot all up and mm-hmm. down the coastline here. This is one of the biggest uh, shipwrights and shipbuilding areas in the United States back then. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and even with the White Horse Tavern. Um, the uh, White Horse Tavern, which is one of the oldest working taverns in the United States, still to this day, um, was owned um, by William Mays Jr., who was a notorious pirate, who had returned to you know Newport pretty much loaded with a great deal of uh, money that he had sacked from his journeys over to the Red Sea as well, and so he had no problem sharing his money with the local townspeople. And uh, with that point in time, as long as the British officials didn't know about any of it, nobody worried too much. Um, When he ended up coming back, they say that some of the money that he brought back and some of the treasure that he brought back actually belonged um, with some of the Knights Templar treasure as well. Um, And... So that's supposedly buried somewhere around the area. Matt Moniz, you should know where the Knights Templar treasure is now, right? Did they tell you that when you became a Master Mason? I am not at liberty to say. No. <laughs> well, tell me off the air, though, right? I am not at liberty to say. Okay. Well, we're going to we're gonna take our, our last break of the hour, and then when we come back, we'll wrap up our talk about pirates, uh, a little bit more about the festival coming up next weekend, and you can share some of your stories and thoughts, uh, 508-996-0500. 508 500 and then I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll go to 12.30, Matt, you think? We'll do the Week and Weird after the 12 o'clock news, and, and we'll talk a little bit more with Matt and Lucky about... Uh, they, they did some interesting work today. Maybe they can talk a little bit about that without giving too much away. Yeah. All right, so we'll be right back here with more on Spooky South Coast. Beaming from the studios of AM 1420 WBSM into the night and beyond, here's more of Spooky South Coast. You know what I hope isn't a isn't a myth about pirate culture? The bottles of rum. Now that's something I could get into. Captain Morgan, that's my favorite pirate. Captain Morgan. Captain Morgan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's my favorite. Captain well, Morgan Knight, it's my favorite. What's your? No, I thought your favorite uh, pirate was Captain Crunch. 
We're being facetious here, folks. We are talking about pirates and, and pirate history with our guest, Kat McNiff, who is, I guess we can call her a, a modern-day pirate because uh, she is an actress who plays a pirate as well as a, a bunch of other characters. And Right now we have her playing the role of our guest tonight because she was nice enough to join us uh, on short notice. So we apologize for not coming on the regular time to those of us listening uh, online, but we are subject to the end time of the Red Sox. But hopefully we'll have plenty of uh, weeks where the Red Sox will get things over fast enough for us uh, to get going. So why don't we talk a little bit more and then the final uh, 15 minutes or so of this hour with Kat about Pirates. Again, next Saturday, May 26, 2007, uh, there's going to be numerous events going on as part of the Newport uh, Pirate Fest. You can go to piratefest.net for more information. Uh, let me just give a, a quick rundown of some of the events that are going on. Uh, from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., there'll be a pirate treasure hunt, a dollar per map. You can pick up your treasure map and first clue at the Thomas Two Thieves Market at Brick Marketplace. Uh, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the market, there'll be face painting and pirate vendors selling crafts and costumes. So if you if you don't show up in costume already, you can get one while you're there and, and join into the festivities that way. Uh, from 10.30 a.m. to 11.30 a.m., there'll be sea stories and pirate crafts for children at the Newport Public Library. From 11 to 12.30, there'll also be a pirate walk, which will be $15 for adults, $10 for children, at the Gateway Visitor Center on America's Cup Avenue. From 1 to 1.30, there'll be family pirate school and a costume contest with Gypsum Good Esquire and his pirate crew. That'll be at the market. Uh, also, Captain Nick's pirate walk will be again from 2 to 3.30. A pirate trial reenactment from 3 to 3.30 at the Thomas Two Thieves Market. Uh, from 4 to 5 p.m., there'll be a Pirate Fever book signing at the market. From five, At 5.30 p.m., the Smuggler's Cocktail Cruise above the Rum Runner 2. That's the part that I want to make sure I go to. If I go to that, I should be able to get back in time for the show. I don't see why not. Well, because it's on a boat called the Rum Runner 2 and there's going to be a cocktail cruise, so that's probably why I won't get back in time. Uh, at 6.30 p.m., they will have the Pirates of the Caribbean 3 world premiere with uh, Captain Jack Sparrow, Will Turner, and Elizabeth Swan lookalike contest at Island Cinemas. So take plenty of pictures, Kat, for us because we might not be able to make that. So <laughs> Just mainly Elizabeth Swan lookalikes. But I guess a couple of Captain Jack Sparrows, too. Uh, <laughs> my wife's not listening tonight. 7 p.m., Smuggler's Cocktail Cruise again. So I can go on two cocktail cruises or are you limited to only one? Uh, well, that's completely up to you. Nice. It's $22 per person, so... But uh, So make sure you bring plenty of money, and reservations are recommended. Also, uh, there's going to be a pirate invasion and, of course, the pirate ship parade. And the Buccaneers Ball will be at 8 p.m. at the Newport Yachting Center for adults 21 plus. And that's going to have uh, plenty. It's going to have sharks come cruising. They're going to blend rock and one of America's lost music styles, the sea shanties. Uh, they'll combining songs of sailing, whaling, drinking, and singing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Drinking and sinking to bring back the raw flavor of our nautical heritage. So and and tickets for the ball are twenty five dollars. They're twenty five dollars pre sale and thirty five at the door. And a portion of the proceeds of the event will go to benefit the Siemens Church Institute of Newport. So it, it definitely sounds like a, a long day, and a very fun day. Is there? Um, if you go there and you get involved in all this, I mean, is it just? Does it get into your blood? Is that what happened to you? Did you just really start getting into this, and it started to become just part of who you are? Um, you know it. it I've always kind of liked pirates, even as a kid, and uh, so growing up and just having a thirst for knowledge and history, I started doing some research, and I figured there's got to be women pirates, and so I did a little research, and I came across Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, um, 
who are part of Calico Jack Rackham's crew. And then came Grace O'Malley. And then I just started finding more and more and more women that were pirates that for a long time weren't known to be women, um, dressing on board as men most of the time, um, just for their own safety. But taking, again, their destinies in their own hands. But isn't that kind of uh, forward thinking of, of pirate culture, though, to, to have women involved in such a role back then? Well, you, the problem being is that most of them didn't realize they were women. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, But, I mean, even on the women's part, to, to, to take that initiative. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there were always warrior women. Um, and there were always those women that kind of bucked the system and said, no, I'm, I'm not going to be a housewife. I'm not going to stay at home. I'm going to take care of myself. Well, here's an interesting little uh, factoid for you about a woman pirate. She comes from China. She holds the record for the most kills, over 10,000 that she killed individually. She holds the world's record. Uh, that would be either Han Cho Lo or Mrs. Chang. Mrs. Chang, I believe. Okay. That's not in the, the Guinness Book of World Pirate Records, is it? No, but um, it is a known fact. It is a known fact, yeah. Uh, Miss Chang um, <laughs> took over. She was a mid to late 1800s. Yeah. And um, yeah, she was she was a brilliant, brilliant woman. Um, yeah. That all of China was afraid of her. <laughs> yeah, you killed 10,000 people personally. That's going to get some attention. <laughs> well, Han Cho Lo, um, who was in the 1930s, actually uh, for Terry and the Pirates, the comic strip. Um, she was who they fashioned the Dragon Lady after. Oh. And, and wow. now, as we said at the top of the show, there's this piracy still going on today uh, out in the waters uh, as well. I mean, isn't it a little bit harder to get away with, though, because of the, the regulation of the sea, or does it just happen out in international waters? Um, it pretty much happens just about anywhere. Um, it's happened off the coast of Brazil, um, there was a yachter who had been killed, and his uh, ship basically had been found torched, but everything had been stolen off of it, uh, and they knew that they were pirates. They eventually ended up capturing them. Um, South China Seas again, because most of those ports, they're in smaller areas and smaller territories, mm-hmm. um, so they're not as patrolled as they would normally be in larger metropolitan areas. And there are also areas that need to bring in more goods uh, over water. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you're dealing with um, a lot of very low-income villages, and so they have to figure out a way to, you know, make some extra money. Mm-hmm. And, so. and what about this talk that we hear, you know, in Hollywood movies and in books about the, the pirate code? Is that something that really did exist? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when you ended up signing articles, which were the rules of the ship. And everybody agreed to what the rules were. Um, you did it for your own safety as well as for the safety of the crew. Mm-hmm. Because, again, you know, you're know you in the middle of the ocean on board a ship, and if something's not working right, you could all die. So you had to work together just for your own sake. And, and were there really rules about you don't steal from other pirates? and Absolutely, because then you cause fights on board ship, and it hard to hide on a pirate ship so Mm -hmm. um, most times when there were problems that had to be fixed um, they would go ashore somewhere and the pirates that were having the problem would fight it out sometimes only one came back 
and were there a lot of instances where pirates would rob from other pirates, or was that generally, you know, not part of what they did? Um, in terms of like one crew, you know, stealing from another crew. It wasn't common. It did happen, um, particularly if it was a, a, a new crew that really didn't know the ropes. Um, but quite often than not, if they would meet each other out at the sea, they'd meet each other, get all together, bring the ships together, and um, and have a party. Yeah, I mean, you hear the term honor among thieves, and it was probably definitely something that was uh, pervading through pirate culture as well. Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. So if, he, if people want to check out uh, myspace.com slash Rhode Island Pirate, they can get more information in piratefest.net. They can get more information about next Saturday's events. And, and just what, what else is on the calendar uh, for yourself coming up in the future? Well, I've got Gatsby Days coming up um, over in Warwick. And, and what, so is, can... what exactly is that? Um, Gaspy Days deals with the burning of the Gaspy, which was a British tax ship during the, uh, I believe it was 1772, um, the predecessor to the Boston Tea Party. And so there is a small ship named the Hannah who had already paid her taxes, but the captain of the Gaspy decided to try and squeeze some more out of her for coming back through Narragansett Bay. And so she the Hannah decided to lead the Gatsby on a chase, and knowing the waters and the bay much better, um, ended up grounding her on a sandbar over at Namquid Point, which is now Gatsby Point in Warwick. And as they, the captain of the Hannah ended up coming into Providence, he went to Sabin's Tavern, letting everyone know what he had done, whereas such notable people as John Brown um, of the Brown family of Providence um, decided that they were going to get a drummer boy to go outside and bang on the drum and basically tell everyone, anyone who wants to commit treason, come to Saban's Tavern, we're going to take the Gatsby. And they did under darkness of night um, that next day and uh, torched her. Hmm. And so the burning of the Gatsby basically is the beginning of the American Revolution right here in Providence. Well, uh, we, we have a, a friend in Warwick uh, by the name of Keith Johnson, uh, a demonologist and the founder of New England Anomalies Research, and he's very, very much into the history of Rhode Island, so I'm sure he'll be there. We'll make sure that he comes by and says hello. That would be great, absolutely. And also, um, on Make the him walk post- the plank if you do see him. Excellent. Well, I was going to say, too, um, Jason Eckhart um, from uh, the Necronomicon Press mm-hmm. um, actually did the artwork for our poster, for piratefest.net, oh. as well as um, he is a descendant of Thomas II himself. Wow. So, so I mean, it definitely there is a lot of the connections in the, the paranormal community and the pirate community. It just seems to go hand in hand. Absolutely. Now, uh, is, this is something that you're going to keep going every year, every every Memorial Day weekend? That's when you plan on having this? Absolutely. I think it's just going to get bigger and better with more events, more fun, and anyone who wants to get involved can always contact us. And uh, like you said, piratefest.net, Matt Costa just brought it up here, and you can see that, that picture you're talking about. That's outstanding. Yeah. And, and so uh, you'll have next year's information up uh, relatively soon after, after this year's event? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And in, in other events that I'll be working on myself, um, I will also be posting on the MySpace page. Well, if we don't get out there uh, next weekend to see you, uh, having to do the show and everything, but if we don't get out there, we'll definitely run into you at uh, King Richard's Fair. 
Excellent. You'll have to come find me. And, uh, well, you, you'll know us. We'll be the ones walking around with two yardsticks of beer in each hand. So. There's a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> Is that probably, uh, I mean, in all the things that you do all year round and all the different uh, events that you take place in, is that probably the, I don't know, the weirdest of the weird in terms of the, the, the people that go? Because, you know, we live right outside of there, and we know the people that live in that area. <laughs> so we can just imagine what kind of folks are coming in there and going through the, the gates of King Richard's Fair. I have to admit, it's kind of odd every so often to watch a Klingon come through. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like it, there's some people that just don't get the idea of what it is that you're doing there. Well, I, they might not necessarily get the idea, but the fact that they are there to have fun mm-hmm. um, and to kind of get away from life for a while and live in a little bit of a fantasy for a few hours a day, you know, and that's the point. Well, because I, I saw somebody that actually dressed up, when, the last time I went, somebody was actually there dressed up as a, as a pilgrim. And I was yes. like, yeah, you, you get the right geographical area, but you get the wrong reenactment, my friend. So Yeah, it's um, one of the things, especially with costuming, it's very difficult, um, unless somebody really does their homework, to find out what the proper time periods are. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just that they spent the money on the costume, they want to try to wear it to as many events as they can. Which is also sometimes the case. <laughs> well, you can wear them pretty much anywhere. I mean, uh, we've seen Klingons out in public, so... As have I, actually. <laughs> I will admit to that. All right. Well, we thank you, Kat McNiff, for joining us tonight. We'll definitely have you back in the future to talk more about uh, some of these other events that you're doing and some of these other things, and, and hopefully uh, we can get out there next Saturday. We recommend that everybody does. Uh, in the town of Newport, Rhode Island, uh, there'll be the entire Rhode Island Pirate Festival, uh, piratefest.net for more information, myspace.com slash Rhode Island Pirate. Excellent. All right. Well, take care. And uh, is is there any well wishing uh, that that pirates give one another when they're parting ways? Um. Don't don't <laughs> die. Don't so, die. Yeah. Um. It is fair winds and fair seas. Right, well, we wish that to you. Thank you. All right. So take care, and we will be back in touch in the future. Thank you very much. Have a great night. You too. Bye. Bye. And that was Kat McNiff of the Rhode Island uh, Pirate Festival and the Buccaneer Ball. That's next Saturday night. So you can make sure that you check all that out if you go to myspace.com slash Rhode Island Pirate or piratefest.net. You can get all these activities that are going on. Anybody that goes to this, please take plenty of photos. Send it to us. Uh, let us see the stuff that's going on. We'll post them up on our website. Matt, I know you're probably busy, uh, but uh, Pirate's something that, that you've uh, done a lot of research in. Personally, no. No? Is this it's an area of interest at all for you? or? Our matey. <laughs> and uh, I know that, uh, Matt Costa, your amount of pirate research extends to watching the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Yeah. Have you seen part two yet? I have. Really? Because uh, you're usually generally behind it. in sequels. I'm part of it. I fell asleep during it. But okay. I've always been a fan of Pirates, and I've always had a fear of scurvy. Scurvy, yeah. That's one thing that I've never wanted to contact. My contract myself, I, I've never wanted to... End up with scurvy, which uh, I guess you get from eating rotten vegetables, which is kind of surprising uh, because pirate, I just stay away from vegetables altogether. That's what works. Pirates don't strike Play me as the, the kind of guys it's that would eat, eat vegetables. Anyway. Huh? That's not how you get scurvy. I thought it came from bad vegetables. No, lack of vitamin C. Okay. Uh, well, learn something new every day. In that, in that case, I'm probably pretty prone to scurvy because uh, I don't have a lot of vitamin C in my diet. But what I do have is a lot of spooky news in front of me, some weird and wild stuff, and we'll do that on the other side of the news break here on Spooky South Coast. 
where can you go to find hot homemade knitted items? How about Knitbits? At knitbits.etsy.com. A new baby in your life? Need a homemade knitted item for a shower gift? The Knitbits has you covered. Sweaters, bibs, booties, blankets, they've got it all. Want to be up on the latest trends? How about some of those funky, cozy socks everybody's wearing? Or knitted handbags and cell phone holders? If they don't have it at Knitbits, or if you want it in a different color, email them and they'll take care of you. That's knitbits.etsy.com. K-N-I-T-B-I-T-S dot E-T-S-Y dot com. Knitbits, for all your homemade knitting around the galaxy around the clock and we'll be saying a big hello to all intelligent life forms everywhere and to everyone else out there the secret is to bang the rocks together guys oh all right then spooky south coast is back holy cow i'm not afraid you Welcome back to Overtime here on Spooky South Coast. We are going beyond our midnight curfew. Thanks to the Red Sox. Thanks for nothing. We're, <laughs> we're, we're going to go a little bit over time here so that we can bring you uh, the week in weird in just a few minutes, and, and then we'll throw the phone lines open because you can hear us no matter where you are in the world on planetparanormal.com. So uh, if you want to call up and share any of your thoughts or feelings about the paranormal, uh, any questions that you might have, 508-996-0500, 508-2910-500, and we'll get to those calls in just a few minutes. But uh, one thing we want to make you aware of is that next Friday night, May 25th, 2007, the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society will bring you their monthly free open meeting at Cape Cod Community College. Join Derek Bartlett, founder of Capers, as he brings you dangers of the paranormal. Have you ever wondered what may happen when you investigate an alleged haunted location only to find out that it is the stomping ground for the demonic? Have you ever had an entity follow you home after an investigation only to have it change your personality and attack your family? What if you were at a nightclub and a group of vampires invite you back to a hotel room and the police find your dead, skinless body the following day? These are just some of the dangers that people face while dealing with the paranormal. What if your mother brought a beautiful picture home and you find yourself being terrorized by the spirit who came with it? What about a board game that bites back? Derek will enlighten you to the field of investigating. He will make you think before picking up a flashlight and tape recorder. This presentation is multimedia and audience participation is encouraged. So that's Dangers of the Paranormal this Friday night, May 25th, 2007, in Lecture Hall B at Cape Cod Community College from 7 to 9 p.m. Again, the cost is free, but donations are always appreciated. If you'd like to find out more, you can go to their website, capers.com. That's C-A-I-P-R-S dot com. So also, uh, let's plug our Wednesday night live internet chats as well. Every Wednesday night at sscfan.com. 
That's our, our buddy Carl's site that he made. Uh, you can join us in the live chat room. We had a, a great discussion this past week on the role of the paranormal media and uh, w- what people think about investigators coming out with TV shows. Uh, each week we try to throw out a topic out there, but we're always open for any kind of discussion. We've got a great group of regulars who, who come in each week. Uh, uh, the girls from um, Wraith Hunters, Tennessee Wraith Hunters. Uh, we have uh, Tammy and Luann and we have Audrey and Cotton came in for a little while this week. And Carl checks in when he can. It's, it's a busy time for him out on the West Coast, but when he can join us, he does as well. So, And, of course, Keith Johnson, the, the demonologist, is there as well. So, And the spooky crew. So if you ever wanted to talk to Matt Moniz or Matt Costa and you were just too intimidated by their awesomeness, <laughs> over the Internet is the best way to do it because, you know, they don't know who you are. I feel that same way every time I'm next to him. Do you, it is weird. It, it, he That's kind why of, I sit way on the other side of the studio. Not, not only is he so awesome, he sucks the awesomeness out of you and just adds I it actually, to his, I take a nap every time I talk to him. It's like the quickening. You know, he, <laughs> he just, like, cuts your head off and then absorbs <laughs> all your awesome. There can be only one. Yeah. And it's you. It's you, Moniz. All right, so why don't we get a little bit weird on you right now? Didn't we just do that? Well, weirder. Oh, all right. Well, bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful weird stuff. I feel, I feel so very weird. <laughs> the Week in Weird. Our first Week in Weird story this week uh, was put on our message board at SpookySouthCoast.com by our loyal friend and listener, Gabby, uh, who was nice enough to bring us to our attention from routers in a thick forest of maple, willow, and oak trees where 17th century European settlers fought hundreds of American Indians. Algae-covered stones are arranged in mysterious piles. Wilfred Green, the 70-year-old chief of the Wampanoag Nation's uh, Sikonki Indian tribe, hopefully I said that right, or it might be Seekonk Indian tribe, says the stone mounds are part of a massive Indian burial ground, possibly one of the nation's largest, that went unnoticed until a few years ago. He says, when I came up here and looked at this, I was overwhelmed. The former boxer said, standing next to one of the hundred stone piles, each one about three feet high and four feet wide, on private land in northern Rhode Island town of about 10,600 people. I know it has significance, he said, absolutely. But Narragansett Improvement Company disagrees and says it will press on with the plans to build a 122-lot housing project over 200 acres in the area near the Massachusetts border. The firm has, the firm has hired an archaeologist who studied the stones and concluded that they were likely just left uh, piles left by early European settlers who built a network of stone walls in the area. I don't believe any of these Indian artifacts are on my land, said President John Everson. The whole area is very stony. But the case illustrates sporadic tension between developers and Native Americans in rural New England, where land disputes fester nearly 400 years after British Puritans sailed into Massachusetts Bay and settled the area. So uh, there is, has been some research done, uh, because this was uh, the area of King Philip's War, of course, so there is some research going on right now to find out exactly what these stones might be. So uh, there's actually a University of Rhode Island, profe- University of Rhode Island professor who uh, thinks that there is a lot of ceremonial ceremonial stonework there and that this could be part of it. So we'll keep checking in on this story, of course, and uh, we thank Gabby for bringing it to our attention and 
we've talked in the past, you know, this stuff really shouldn't be disturbed if they can prove that that's what it is. Could have my buddy Charlie Devine look into that. You remember he was a history yes. professor in Rhode Island, and uh, his main forte is Native American studies. So we might want to bring this to his attention and, and see if he can get involved. And I'll give him a call. If we can determine if these are actually, you know, Native American stones that are there for purpose, they need to be left alone. If it was really just, you know, the remnants of stone walls built by settlers, heck, move it out of the way. All right, Matt Costa, what do you have for us? Okay. Unexplained sightings of something in Loch Ness date back to the 6th century. Now a tourist boat hopes to find something. A Scottish-based cruise company has fit sonar equipment to its flagship boat, the Jacobite, in hopes of capturing evidence of the Loch Ness Monster. They recently demonstrated their search gear at the Visit Scotland Expo in 2007 in Edinburgh in which a fake video was made of Nessie swimming across a sonar screen to illustrate how it would work. By chance, they would pass over it. The equipment would be fit- fitted to the Jacobite, which takes tourists on cruises around the lock. Scheduled maiden voyage of the Jacobite has not yet been announced. Also news on Nessie, a film titled Water Horse Legend of the Deep is in production and is said to be released by Christmas of this year. The director of the, vi- of the film, Jay Russell, who directed films including My Dog Skip, Tuck Everlasting, and Ladder 49, has shared some exclusive work-in-progress production stills and storyboards from the film. You can find those on Cryptomundo, and there's a link on the SpookySouthCoast.com page under the Week in Weird section. My Dog Skip, huh? Yeah, My Tuck Dog Everlasting. Skip. I don't know. So is this going to be a sad story between uh, Nessie and, a, and another teenage sea creature in the... You know, from what I saw, the stills, it may there's, in fact there's, be. There's always some kind of tearjerker involved. So, yeah. Always. Well, there, hey. There was a young boy and there was a Loch Ness Monster. I, I'm picturing like Free Willy with a Loch Ness Monster instead of a killer whale. Soundtrack by Michael Jackson. That'd be interesting. Well, hey, anytime you can get more attention to Nessie, uh, you know, that always helps out. It helps, helps what we're talking about here. Uh, now, Matt Moniz, you have a story that actually might explain some of your heritage. <laughs> nice. Okay, go ahead. There is one of those? Oh. From Routers. Written on Thursday, cleared the way for scientists to conduct experiments using hybrid animal-human embryos <laughs> after the government <laughs> bowed to protests from researchers who said a proposed ban could hurt their work. Scientists want to use the hybrid embryos to find cures for illnesses such as Parkinson's, strokes, and Alzheimer's. The Department of Health said it would accept a recommendation from Parliament's Sciences and Technologies Committee that an interspecies embryos could be created for research. Britain is one of the leading states for stem cell research, attracting scientists from around the world with its permissive environment that allows embryo studies within strict guidelines. Researchers currently rely on human eggs left over from fertility treatments, but these are in short supply. The hybrid embryos, which would be destroyed within 14 days, would be more than 99% human, but with a small amount of animal DNA. Scientists in China, the United States, and Canada have already carried out similar work. And the same technique that was used to create all of the sheep is, is also the same place where they cloned the first mammal. President George Bush has vetoed an 
expansion of federal funding for stem cell research, saying U.S. taxpayers who object to such work should not have to pay for it. Now, uh, the whole stem cell yep, debate. These is, would also still be the same people wanting to be the first in line to reap the results of these oh, same of course. studies. Yeah. Uh, the whole stem cell debate is something we haven't really gotten into on SpookySouthCoast.com, but we could definitely focus on it in, in the future because of the, the, the science benefits of it. But now, Lucky, you've been to Matt Moniz's house. Have you found some of these half-human, half-animal embryos anywhere in the house? Uh, uh, yeah, there's this, uh, it's hard to explain what you see there. I mean, it really is. I mean, There, there are no words to describe there's it. There's odd little things that guard the gates going into this massive plot of land. We, 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 we call it the island of Dr. Moniz <laughs> just because of some of the creatures that he works on. You should see what cooks the food there. It's fantastic food, <laughs> but you should see it. At least its hands are clean. That's all that really matters. He makes it wash all four of its hands. It's amazing. <laughs> all right. Our final story this week also comes from Rodas. Bullet analysis used to justify the lone assassin theory behind President John F. Kennedy's assassination is based on flawed evidence, according to a team of researchers, including a top former, uh, former top FBI scientist. Writing in the Annals of Applied Statistics, the researchers urged a reexamination of bullet fragments from the 1963 shooting in Dallas to confirm the number of bullets that struck Kennedy. Official investigations during the 1960s concluded that Kennedy was hit by two bullets fired by Lee Harvey Oswald. But the researchers, including former FBI lab metallurgist William Tobin, said new chemical and statistical analyses of bullets from the same batch used by Oswald suggest that more than two bullets could have struck the president. Evidence used to rule out a second assassin is fundamentally flawed, the researchers said in their article. If the assassination bullet fragments are derived from three or more separate bullets, then a second assassin is likely. The Kennedy assassination set off a whirlwind of theories about who killed the 46-year-old president. The President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy, known unofficially as the Warren Commission, concluded in 1964 that Lee Harvey Oswald, acting alone, fired three shots, one of which missed the president's car. There have been many challenges to its conclusions over the years. The House of Representatives Select Committee on Assassinations concluded in the 1970s that Oswald was probably part of a conspiracy that could have included a second gunman who fired but missed Kennedy. The panel's supporting evidence was a bullet analysis that said fragments collected from the site were too similar to be from one, uh, from more than two slugs. But the latest report found that many bullets from the same batch used by Oswald had a similar composition. Further, we found that one of the 30 bullets analyzed in our study also compositionally matched one of the fragments from the assassination, the article said. This finding means that the bullet fragments from the assassination that match could have come from three or more separate bullets. So that's definitely something we'll keep uh, keep an eye on because uh, there's just been recent footage uh, that, that suggests that there was only one assassin. So it's, it's still to this day, you know, 40 years later, almost 50 years later, we're still debating whether or not it could be. Soon enough, the, uh, the actual Warren Commission archives will be opened up. Maybe we can get a little bit better idea. But for now, we're stuck with all these different conflicting reports. Well, that's the Week in Weird for this week. Remember, if you have any stories you'd like to add to the Week in Weird, just go to the Week in Weird thread on the message board at SpookySouthCoast.com. And for all kinds of weird news and information, you can keep reading Fate Magazine for more. So stay tuned. We'll have uh, open lines for the final 10 minutes of Spooky South Coast. If you want to get involved, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. They're open to talk all things paranormal when we come back.
Welcome back to Spooky South Coast here. Uh, just about ready to wrap it up, but we'll throw the phone lines open. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500 if you'd like to call and talk about anything to do with the paranormal. Now, Lucky, one of the uh, trips that you went on, because you know you, you and Matt are now uh, uh, an investigative team together. Uh, what are you going to call yourselves? Do you have a catchy nickname? Uh, uh, Lucky's investigative teams, including that- Matt. That works. <laughs> but you'll notice uh, if you listen to the bumpers, it's Spooky South Coast starring Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. No mention of Matt Moniz. Uh, well, he's the power behind the power. Well, you can never tell if he's going to be here. That's why. We have him out in the field so much. But one of the, one of the investigations that you go, got to go on with him was uh, his trip to Waverly Hills. Uh, oh, that, was, uh, that was a hoot. Yeah, and, and that was uh, pretty active. Yeah, we had a lot of um, we had amateurs that came with us that we taught some basic skills to. And uh, got a lot more results than we expected to have actually at this uh, at the yeah. trip. And we had full body apparitions. I mean, uh, I had my lovely assistant Casey, who was actually taking my camera and videotaping the uh, entire um, full body apparition. Um, I'm have been slacking off a little bit on my uh, checking over the film, so I have to check over some more of the films. Um, but on hopes, you know, we we had dark shadows being blocking out light, and we had noises and sounds and a woman screaming at one point you can hear the human ear it wasn't even an evp it was just a person screaming and we had uh orbs the human eye and now matt we're coming up just upon the the one year anniversary of your your first trip to waverly hills uh, where you caught that footage that's on spookysouthcoast.com and all over the internet youtube and and, and everything there's, there's been a lot of buzz about that footage uh but when you went back this this Last time, I mean, was it just was it that much more active, or just you knew the whole place was just lit up? Best way I can describe it, and I'm pretty sure Lucky can verify. You know, we were physically in the place for three days, yeah. for all intents and purposes. Day and night, actually, we stayed, night. we stayed there and stuff. Like well, that. Yeah, we that's actually. Because you're gluttons for punishment. We actually slept in the basement. Yeah, that, that's good. Yeah, you are. You're gluttons for punishment. <laughs> and again, the fact that you could. Spend that much time with him over a weekend is, is paranormal. Well, it wasn't just me; it was me, him, and Brian Hornwell. The three of us Sleep together. In the basement, <laughs> which is quite festive. And I can only imagine. Well, we had a. What else did we have happened there? I mean, I was in a. I was in the um, electric shock therapy room, and I had my group in front of me, and we were kind of trying to see what was there, and had a uh, a loud bang behind me. Where actually sparks shot out from behind me. Really? Yeah, it was really weird. With something no electricity running? No, something actually hit the metal pipe behind me with something else, oh. and sparks actually shot so, off. Oh, all uh, right. And, and I, but, had, I had my group that was down there much later than after him, and there was something walking around in that room because we went from one room into another, and you can see from the bottom half of the uh, wall because, you know, some of these walls are partially missing mm-hmm. pieces here and there. You could see something walking back and forth in, in that room that he's talking about. And you go through the doorway to try and catch whoever is there, and there'd be nothing there. You'd walk back in, and you'd see the footsteps walking and hear it walking back and forth. It's also the same area where I had an apparition that I saw, both myself and the uh, one of the security guards, uh, because we we take a head count of all of the people. 
Mm -hmm. You know, I had, you know, 10 people in one, this one particular group I was doing a head count, and I kept counting 11. It's like, okay, one more time, one, two, three, four, you know, and it got to be 11. One of the guys walking back uh, towards me said hi to this other guy that he was walking by that he thought was part of the group. And then I realized, wait a minute, all of my people in my group are over here. Who's that guy standing over there by that other doorway that this other guy just walked by? So I was like, I started walking at him. Uh, one of the security guards started following right behind me, and we started chasing this guy down the hallway. As we go down the hallway, he dematerialized right in front of us. Well, that's one way to get out of not having to pay the, the yeah, fee of going on. Yeah, it is. Like, and then when we came back, you know, the guy that said hi to him on the way happened to be, you know, one of our biggest skeptics that we had in our group. And he was like, yeah. that guy was real. I said hi to him. <laughs> He's like, yeah, well, <laughs> both Donnie and I said, well, we just watched him dissolve into the air in front of us. So. Well, it was pretty cool. The full body I saw was actually a known ghost there. Her yeah. name is Mary. Uh, she was a little girl. Um, I had a group of, I think, seven with me or something like that and uh they all saw this thing in the hallway they're all like you know oh my god do you see and i said you know don't say anything until after you know this whole thing is over and i want each one of you to come to me and tell me what you saw and ex describe it so you no know, you're not clouding another person's judgment and i think like four people came up to me afterwards it's like you know ex described exactly what i saw it was a uh, little girl um long brown hair uh white wedding I mean, wedding yeah white wedding um, a hospital gown on, and uh, she's down the end of the hallway, and it slowly got a little bit closer and a little closer, and it slowly just dissipated. Uh, it was very, very interesting. Everybody there was just baffled because most of them were amateurs have never done it before. Mm -hmm. And to be able to go into that as one of your first investigations and, and experience that. Oh, yeah, I mean, and the place was so active. I mean, they're doing construction there, and the construction just makes it so much more active. And now, I know Matt Moniz refused to watch it, but I don't know if you caught that Celebrity Paranormal Project that aired on VH1. Did you catch any of that? They they actually went to Waverly for one of their investigations. Negatore did not. And and they had, uh, you know, we, we don't know how much of it was put in for Hollywood effect and how much of it was actually acquired in investigation, but, you know, they had a lot of activity going on there as well. And I think as these groups are going in there to investigate as these film crews are going in there it's just like you said it's drumming up a lot of that activity and so each time people go it becomes more and more active uh do you guys i, I know matt moniz wants to get a summer home in, in louisville but do you have plans to go back there again uh, without these big large groups and, and to get I a little bit more intense i would love to go back there uh, again and do like i did the the first round with uh joe uh maybe one or two other people to help out. Team back, says, uh, "Go um, back to Waverly." I'm, yeah. I'm actually going back to Waverly yeah, on uh, on uh, July 11th. Is that is that another organized trip, um, or are you going on your own? Or? Actually, the, my assistant that I work with, Casey, actually organized this big trip, and uh, we're actually going to it July 11th, and going to have. I, I think it actually we're actually work later into the night and investigate. It's a much smaller group. Uh, I think there's only like 15, 20 people going, which is good. And, uh, you know, this way we can get more investigating going. They don't have to worry about, you know, people uh, contaminating any kind of EVPs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's, that's one of the problems with these large trips is that uh, there's all these people that are, uh, you know, like you said, contaminating, stepping on each other. But yeah, sometimes, you know, EVPs, you know, when you're out there, uh, if you have a big group, especially of amateur-type people. We're going on July 11th with more professional people. Mm -hmm. 
the amateur people tend to during VPs to be talking and giggling about and they're they, still learning. They, they yeah. see something that you know you have an EVP went down the end of the hall. Someone walks down there and actually like you know bumps into something down there and doesn't say anything. So it could be them. It's yeah. Well, one one of my favorite things uh, to point out to to new investigators too is the really loud cameras that people will bring on an investigation. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, it's strange because I, I, me and Matt were walking around Waverly doing a, like a pre walkthrough mm-hmm. during the day with one of the security guards, and I had my camera and I have an SLR clicks on, I have a flash, the button clicks on. I took a picture in one room. That was wild. And then we yeah. walked into another room, and I went to take the picture in the next room, and I pressed the button and nothing. I went, oh, what the hell? I looked at it. my actual off button was off. It clicked it off, and my flash was actually shut off as well. Uh, it, it, he was right in front of me, and there was no way that well, he was turning it off you know, at all. When we were at the Lizzie Borden house with, with Ron Millione and, and Brian Harnwell, the same thing happened to Ron's camera. It actually shut off and went to off, and, and somebody else had the same thing happen with their camera as well. So uh, it just it seems like it's, uh, it's, I don't know, maybe a trick that spirits like to play. Well, up on the fifth floor also, it's known to drain... Tons of power in that one room. Mm-hmm. Room number uh, is that fourth floor, the operating room. No, the one, the one up on the fifth floor that drains. Five hundred two. Five hundred two. I went in there with the full battery, with my cell phone in my pocket, and it drained my battery for my flash, my camera, and it killed my cell phone in like wow. under two minutes. Wow. It it, it seems like. Oh, well, getting back to that point about the camera too. It, people need to realize, like, if you have a camera that makes noise, that whirs, and you know, makes the clicking sound, you have to note that. It's easier it's easy just to yell, even say the word flash. Yep. You say the word flash and you take a picture, you know, that click was the picture. And also if there's any video being taken, also you can actually see the flash and hear flash. Because I know that, you know, being uh, promoters uh, helping to promote that event, we said to people, hey, anybody that goes on these wheezy round trips, send us any evidence you get. And people would send us EVPs that, you know, they'd be like, I heard this strange noise. Well, that's your camera. You know, I heard, I heard this strange noise. Oh, that's somebody talking behind you. It's you, you really got to get into the the groove to take a place like Waverly your first trip. You got too much going on all at once. A lot of times, also, uh, I've heard a couple of EVPs and people sent me after the trip saying, uh, well, "Listen to this. I hear kind of ruffling and stuff like that." Not realizing that the mics are very sensitive on the smaller recorders. Mm-hmm. It was actually them walking and holding onto it and, like, hitting the side of their pants as they were walking or something like that and not putting it down somewhere and asking questions. Well, one, one suggestion that I make to people, this this is something that I do on the, the rare occurrence that I'm out there in the field, but I have one of those headlamps uh, that go around your head with mm-hmm. the elastic band, and I'll wear a hat and put the headlamp on it, and I'll stick my recorder in the headlamp, uh, in the elastic band in the headlamp, so that eliminates the possibility, you know, unless I so bang you, heads with so costumes. So you can record your thoughts? Yeah, well, that works, too. I try to send them through, but it doesn't work. But, you know, it, if you can keep your hands off of it, it'll help generate stuff, too. Uh, is there, like you said, you know, you bring these amateurs that go in there. Is there a downside to investigating with them in these trips? Do you feel like maybe you wish it had been just par- uh, paranormal people there? That's a good question. I mean, uh, I really think it's cool teaching people some stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's great seeing people see stuff for the first time or you know, experiencing something or just the excitement that they have going into it and asking the questions afterwards. So it, it, it's it's really actually a lot of fun. I mean, I don't really have anything negative to say about it. Because yeah, there's, there's just that moment when you can – anybody can believe this stuff, but until they actually experience it, they don't believe it 100%. And it's when you can see that look of conviction in their face. Oh, there was a person at Eastern State Penitentiary, one of the uh, security guards we were walking with. I, I think Matt was with me also. Yeah. And uh, actually Brian was there too. And uh, we were doing like a whole like walkthrough. And uh, we were up on uh, – in um, cell block 12 where there's three levels. We were in the second, we were in the third level. That's the spot where that thing, uh, where the, the recorded thing with the cloak. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, that place. But we were up there, and the security guard was just like, I've been working here like 10 years, and I haven't seen any crap. This is all BS. And oh, was yeah, like, I was standing right next to him. And we were like, all right. And we were all standing there. He was behind us, and we heard somebody be like, hey, 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 hey. you. Hey. Yeah. Like, behind him. And he turned around to see who was there, and he heard nothing. He was just like, who said that? We are like, I don't know. He's like, All our people are in front of you. He's like, what was that? Then he was all intrigued. We should go check that out. <laughs> and then, like, that's the same place. Same About 10 minutes later, one of the cell doors closed below us in the second level. We were in the third. Like, one of the big heavy metal doors. So, yeah, when you can start to convince somebody that, especially somebody who's at a place like that, I'm sure he quit very soon after that. And he's like, yeah, he, was, he <laughs> made a point to saying, I'm probably the biggest skeptical guard you'll find in this place. And then all of a sudden, he's got voices, and it definitely came from behind him. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. that's what caught his attention. And the only thing that behind him led up to the third floor. One way up there, one way down. And we were the only ones in the actual area. And there was only like five of us because it, it was a whole professional group, too. It was yeah. no amateurs at that time. It was all of us there. Now, I know that the, the Wheezy Ron trips are kind of on hold right now uh, as they reorganize a bit. But um, there were other investigations planned, uh, the lighthouse down in Florida. And, and I know they planned on going back to Lizzie Borden and some of these other ones. Do you think that... If they do get that back going, are there other places you'd like to go with Brian and, and Ron? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's tons of places. I mean, all over the country, I'd like to you know, check places out. I mean, there's always the Stanley. The Stanley, we just, you know, you want to go there. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually going there in October. You want to go there even if you're not investigating. It's just, you know, just to be able to go there and, and experience it for yourself. I'll be there in October, um, right before Halloween, investigating. It's a perfect time. So it should be kind of fun. And that's when it's uh, a lot less... Um, a lot less uh, hubbub there. You know, it's a little bit calmer. It's the off-season a bit. And they also have a masquerade um, ball. It's kind of fun, too. Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, that, is that part of the event that uh, Todd Sheets and, and the Night Watchers have planned? Yes, it is. That's actually uh, Todd's event. Yeah. So so make sure you check out uh, Todd's information. That's the Night Watch radio program. We can promote him on this station because nobody from the station is listening right now. It's too late for them. So. I just wanted to make sure. I want to say, you know. I know, I know. Promote his trip for him. You're, you're, way, more, you're <laughs> way more careful than we are, but we fully support everything Todd does, and we're fully behind the Night Watchers uh, idea. I'm actually trying to talk him into doing something with Lizzie Boyden, too. So I'm supposed to also be doing uh, possibly some stuff uh, with um, um, Bellwitch, possibly, um, that area. I'm still working on some technical issues and some uh, you know legal issues on that. I know the, the girls from the Tennessee Wraith Hunters are, are planning That's a trip I'm, there. I'm actually... I'm actually uh, where the hell are you on Wednesday nights when we're doing the live chat? Um, I, 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 <laughs> I just... Uh, I, uh, hello? I'll be right there. <laughs> All right, well, well, we'll have to get you in there. And, and, and yeah, I, I told them to get in touch with Pat Fitzhugh, who's like the authority on the Bell Witch down there. And we try to get him on Spooky South Coast, but he works Saturday nights. But, you know, we'll definitely talk to him in the future, and maybe we'll sync up uh, in anticipation of your investigation there. All right. Well, let's go to the phones. We have a call. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Good. How are you? All right. Good. Uh, there's a question. Uh, do you think um, <clears throat> there's more of a chance of uh, a person seeing something or hearing something they, you know, not least, will they least expect it or, will, you know, like, Going to a place with a clear mind. I mean, well, I think uh, if you're skeptical, you're going to dismiss things a lot easier. But that you might dismiss something that was actually worth looking into. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you can't go in there with a totally closed mind. Right. But uh, if you go in there a little bit too open, then every little noise or, or something you're going to think is paranormal. Yeah. I mean, Matt, in your experiences. Well, these paranormal things are going to happen whether you're expecting them or not or believing in them or not. Right. It's just your perception of what you see and what you think you hear or feel or what have you. Uh, 
if you go into a place with an open mind, you're more apt to see something happen. If mm-hmm. that's what what your question is, yes. Yeah, I mean, I a, a couple of things over you know over the years that happened. It wasn't, I mean, no, no major things, but just when you least expected. I remember some years ago, it was a friend of mine, and he says, "Hey, I'm going over a guy's house tonight." And he's uh, you know, I kept asking, well, what's it about? Oh, you know, I'm just got a friend of mine I want you to talk to. And I, was, I guess it was a, the other guy was a wannabe minister or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's going on. I says, oh, man, what am I getting myself into? And, you know, he's just going on. He was a nice guy, a nice enough guy, but, you know, I wasn't interested. I, I don't know then if he was a bonding Christian. I don't know what he was. But it seemed I had, all, you know, these different things happening when I, as soon as I left that house. I mean, for what? weeks. What's your what's your mind frame toward it though? Are you open to it? Are you, you know, are, are you skeptical of it? Are you, of what? Of what? Of just oh. any kind of activity. I mean, are you, are you actively looking for it? Or are you? No, I wasn't even think. I wasn't even I thinking about it. I mean, it just seems that uh, I left there. I left his house, and uh, you know, the, the night went on as it is, and it just sat over the next few weeks, or months, he, uh, you know, different. It was weird things that just, uh, I, I guess the most, the thing that bothered me the most uh, of all the, you know, silly little things was uh, I used to sleep, always fall asleep on my back with my hands underneath the blankets. It was just something that I always did. Mm-hmm. And I always used to have a glass of water by my bedside, one of the little night tables. Mm-hmm. And the table, the, the, tier, the last tier was below the bed. So I just reached down and. I remember I just fell asleep one night, and and just I, the water splashed in my face. Wow! And I mean, I, I jumped up. I, I said, you know, I. Matter of fact, I was you know, my mother and father was still alive, and I ran home. I, I thought one of them did it. I didn't know. I don't know. You know, what I mean, that was the first thought. I just, you know, it sounded stupid after. I said, "When you splash water in my face?" Because it got them upset. No, what happened? Like, I went back to the bedroom and the glass was laying down. There was no water on the table or anything. It was just, it hit me in the face. I said, oh, man. I, you must have made something angry. I was just trying to get you to wake up, maybe. I don't know. I, I just, you know, I in uh, guitar strumming in the closet. It was all kinds of weird. And when this went on for, you know, like I said, nothing major, but just enough to scare the hell out of me. And I said, but, boy. And, and to make sure that you kept your mind open. Well, I kept my mind open. Also, you know, I just didn't know what to expect. And I says, gee, I says, what did I, you know, what did I do? I says, was this guy a bad guy? You know what I mean? Then I started wondering if he was a bad, you know. Mm-hmm. But I said, yeah, he, he just was talking normal. And I mean, it just. Well, I think if you're going to keep your mind open to it and you're willing to interact and accept that it's there, uh, it could go two ways. It could either, you know, keep, you know, stay active to, to interact with you or it could just totally go away because you've acknowledged its presence. Well, I gotta say, it never totally. Uh, I mean, that was many years ago. I was eighteen, or around there, but it never totally went away. It just every so often it'd be something, something. I mean, it just you know unexplained, and it doesn't bother me like it did in the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, you, know, you become more kid. comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah, in a sense, not really comfortable, but sometimes it can. You know, you'll wake up and you think you're, you know. You're dreaming, and you see something in the corner, and it just—it's kind of you know. 
Well, I also I'll, I'll go back to Matt's original point though. Though it's going to happen whether you're looking for it or not, mm-hmm. and, and to just to recognize it, you know, it can it can help you, it can hurt you. Uh, if you want to lend credence to it, it, it could help help it go away. Uh, and if you're going to, you know, chase after it, uh, a lot of people who expect to see something when they go out for the first time is lucky to say, you know, first time investigators going out there hoping to see something. You might be putting a little bit too much pressure on yourself and the paranormal, and you, you're going to jump on every little thing, thinking that it's something. I mean, I wouldn't, uh, you know, somebody says, hey, you know, you want to see this or that. I would say no because I. You know what I mean? I've seen enough where I didn't want to. I want nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? I, and I fell into it. And I said, well, I wouldn't. You know what I mean? So any any place I found out that cause there's a couple of houses actually around uh, the neighborhood that you'd hear about this and that. And I said, you know, well, the, that. there's always those stories in any neighborhood. I walked by the house. I didn't even, I didn't even look at it because I said, I don't, you know, uh, the least I looked at that or the... Uh, I'll just make one quick. There was this, this house that just got recently fixed. So you hear these stories too because you knew it was close in the neighborhood years ago. Mm-hmm. Now you don't know nobody. Yeah, now you don't know your neighbors. Yeah. So um, the house recently just got sold. They fixed it up, but uh, and uh, I think it was like '73. Uh, this house here is yeah, normal families on the first floor, second floor, or any. This was a summer afternoon. The kid, I think he was about maybe 12, 11. He comes crashing out of the second floor window in the hallway. Wow. I mean, this is a true story. I mean, he came out. I mean, he didn't. He landed. I mean, kids are resilient, and he landed, didn't get hurt, fell in the dirt. And uh, they asked him, you know, obviously what happened, who did that? You know, they figured somebody did it. He said the devil threw him out the window. So, needs to say the mother had the house blessed. And, uh, you know, he was he wouldn't go upstairs anymore. I mean, they lived the first floor. They ended up moving out. But it was something years years after that, I had a, a friend that lived on the second floor. So I'm there one day, and I, I wasn't even thinking about that. And I looked, and I saw his door that went into that little hallway. <laughs> and it was, he had, uh, what do you call it, um, across the door. Oh, gee, I can't even think of the word. The door was barricaded. Mm-hmm. I, I just laughed. I said, what's up? And he says, nothing, nothing. He said, I just... <laughs> We don't go in that room. Right, and a matter of fact, when they when they he had work done, the window he had it done over, and in other words, the window's gone. You don't even see the window no more. Mm-hmm. I just I says, oh, you know, he wouldn't go into. I says, what's up? Was uh, you know, we're just sitting there. What's up with that? Oh, and I just keep it. You know, nothing, nothing's going on. I don't think it was too. I don't know something about that hallway, but just a quick story. But the kid always swore too. It was a devil that threw him off the hallway. Well, I can understand not wanting to look at that house when you walk by. Yeah, I, I so probably wouldn't either. I go by there. My wife says, wow, look at that. A nice job they're doing the house because they fix it all up. I said, yeah, yeah, real nice job. Well, <laughs> thanks for listening to all me. All right. We thank you for calling in and sharing your experiences. Take care. Have a good one. It's a I just want to make a note. Um, I have a, a friend listening in also who said that me and Matt were amazing teachers for their first trip. That was very sweet. That was. How much did you pay to get that kind comment? Usually Moniz has to solicit those type of uh, (laughs) compliments. I'm just kidding. He's an excellent teacher. He teaches us uh, each each and every time we we go out into the field with him, we we learn all kinds of new stuff. It helps to have great students. Well, thank you. And it helps that you were taught by great teachers as well. Yeah. One thing thing about the trips also is great that you meet a handful of people that it seems like you actually end up still talking to afterwards and... 
you know, some of the best you'll ever meet in the world. Exactly. I mean, so many of these people that we've talked to, I mean, we were at the Lizzie Borden one, and they're still friends of ours, and they still want to share evidence with you that they capture on other trips and other investigations because they've respected your opinions and they respected what it is that you have to offer. So it, at the very least, you know, is the, the paranormal community builds on the Internet. That's one of the, you know, pluses to it. We've seen so many of the downsides. We've talked about the downsides in other shows, but when everybody can work together and trust one another when they get good, a good solid core of people, then you're making progress. Yeah, we have a bunch of great listeners that do contribute uh, a lot of good material to us. And We've been very blessed with that. We are. We're very appreciative of it. We, we thank you for it. We hope that you will continue to trust in us and, and share with us your paranormal experiences, your questions, your theories, your investigations, your evidence. You can get a hold of us all week long. Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can also find us on MySpace, MySpace.com slash SpookySouthCoast. And uh, our live Wednesday night internet chats, our, our live stream every Saturday night, our podcasts. You know, there's there's no reason that you can't say, the, oh, I, I can't hear Spooky South Coast. Now you can. There's no reason that you can't hear us and, and call in and feel comfortable with us and share your experiences. So. We'd like to thank our guest for tonight, Kat McNiff of the uh, Rhode Island Pirate Festival, which is coming up next Saturday. And, of course, Lucky, who is sitting in with us tonight as our, our guest host. And why don't you tell everybody the website one more time? It is luckyillustrator.com. And uh, is there going to be a, a special uh, portrait of Moniz put up there anytime soon? I hope not. Oh, that, that's a, that's, it's all in the works. Oh. It's, it's going to be my <laughs> flagship piece. I, I can just He's picture him with, a, with my... Uh, with my a, book. A fig yes, leaf we have, we have, we have some, we have, we have, we have a book that we're that we're working on with Matt. That's uh, it's, it's fantastic. Is it? Yes. Because I keep hearing about this book, but I haven't seen it. Yes, so. yes. There's 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 little snippets. There's new ideas being thrown around. As parts we, of it are up on my blog. It, oh are, Jesus. Parts of it are up on my MySpace also. Oh jeez. Which is lucky. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're not. Yeah, no, no, that's uh, yeah, we're not going. Yeah. I, I already told Matt I'm not promoting that on the show because <laughs> I, I fear uh, just who might be listening. Uh, well. So. But, uh, you know, you can go to Matt Moniz's MySpace through our MySpace and find out more that way. But I'm afraid to promote that. We don't know where it could lead. <laughs> All right. I think that's a good uh, good note to call it quits. Fear is always good to end something on. Yes. I always end it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for Matt Costa, the silent assassin, for the science advisor, Matt Moniz, for Lucky, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spectacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I know the supernatural is something that is...